0: Welcome to the Woodridge Baptist Church podcast. For more information about what's happening in the life of our church, visit our website at www.woodridge.org. Enjoy the podcast. Hello, uh, we're starting a new thing. We're starting a new thing and it's called the difficult sayings of Jesus. Uh, we just wrapped up Philippians a couple weeks ago and now have started this new uh, focus on the Gospels, synoptic Gospels specifically of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, and we'll be looking at... Over the next probably six to eight weeks, uh, the difficult sayings of Jesus, uh, the words that he said whilst he was here on earth, and how he uh, pretty much changed the world with the words that he said and how those words to this day uh, are still very effective and in many ways very uncomfortable uh, based on how he said and what he said and uh, the time in which he said it. Before we get too far into, we'll actually be in Matthew today, we'll be in Matthew chapter 18, uh, <clears throat> talking about uh, forgiveness. But before we do that, I want to provide a little context uh, about what we are trying to accomplish with the, the book, uh, with, with this study, I guess is the best way to say it. Uh, what what it is, the idea of, uh, as we try to interpret Scripture. Now, we all have our translations. I've got two before me today. I've got the NET and the NASAB uh, version translations. Uh, but through that, we're interpreting it. And we're interpreting it through our lens of what we understand, uh, the context of the time in which this book was written, or these books, since we'll be doing three of them, uh, but also uh, what, what the context of now feels like, uh, how we look at it through our own lens uh, versus the lens uh, of those who originally read this and wrote this 2,000 years ago. And so there's, there's many different ways uh, that this can be interpreted, N- not in a way that, that removes Jesus and not in a way that takes away from the, the message of who Jesus was and what, why he was here on this earth, but our understanding of, of how we uh, approach the scripture was what we'll be looking at and um, there's this there's these viewpoints which i agree with is that there's uh there's there's a t-shirt out there i think i've mentioned this before by uh p dance it's it's more than a t-shirt but it's a saying that he has or something that he works with he's a professor uh theologian and it says all theology has an adjective and what that means is that depending on uh if you're coming from an african-american perspective or a, a a south american perspective or if you're coming from a white suburban perspective uh, uh, you're, you're looking at the Bible through that lens, and you interpret the Bible based on that lens. And so if you have a, a group of people who come into a room from very different uh, areas of life and from very different viewpoints, they're going to interpret the Bible differently. And so uh, I'll, I'll provide mine based on my context. I encourage you to do yours based on your context. Mainly this conversation we'll be having over the next several weeks is a guide to that, It's just kind of a, a guide through of how you interpret what Jesus was trying uh, to say. One thing we always have to keep in mind is that the Bible was written for us, but not to us. Uh, that is something that's, that's very true. Uh, it was written to a, a group of, uh, well, not a group. There's It's is very diverse. The Bible is very diverse. But uh, the, the time in which it was started to put together was over thousands of years. And the time it was canonized, of course, was around uh, 400 years. Uh, AD. And during that time, people looked at uh, the Bible and the world very differently uh, than we do today. Their cultures were different. The way they lived was, w- was very different. Uh, the way they treated people was very different uh, than, than we do today. And it's a very, very vast, different world. Let me give you one example that's very extreme. And why not do it? Because uh, it is. This is, we'll be seeing some very extreme words of what Jesus taught. But think about this. In the period of the, the, the first century and even before then and even after the first century, uh, the the idea that if a, this is in a, in a, a Jewish culture, uh, if, if a woman was was raped uh, and she was a, a single woman, young single woman and was raped, uh, the man who did that would be responsible for her for the rest of his of his life and her life as well. And he had to take care of her as a wife, not as a slave or a servant, but as a, as a wife for the rest of her life. And you'd think, why would a woman ever want to be married to the man who, who raped her? And, of course, if that makes zero sense. But back then, if a woman did not have a, a husband uh, or a kinsman uh, to take care of her, she either became a prostitute or, or died of starvation or, or, or any sort of other mixture of horrible things would happen to her. So this was kind of her way of surviving. Uh, and it's very unfortunate what would happen to her, Very unfortunate. But at the same time, that's how she, that's how they determined that a woman would be able to survive in a world in which women were not uh, valued or appreciated the way they are uh, today. <clears throat> so just I, I just bring that up because I want you to kind of see they saw the world very differently than we see the world. They interpreted the actions around them differently than we do today. Now there's always this thing such as human nature, which deals with you know greed and pride and uh, jealousy and, and things related to that, but that's that's different, uh, again, uh, from kind of just the cultures and the norms of that time. A lot of what uh, was written in the Bible, I would say, would make us uncomfortable. It made the people who read it originally uncomfortable, it made the people who wrote it most likely uncomfortable. But comfort is not the intent of the Scripture. Uh, The the intent of the Scripture is to enlighten people, to enlighten us, uh, to help us grow in our spiritual walk uh, with, with God. Uh, it's it's not to it's not a there's not it's supposed to be a feel good story to where we now feel better about ourselves. Now there are points in it where you you read you study the Bible you pray uh, you you meditate upon it and you will there there will be hope and there will be grace and there will be mercy. But the the intent of it is not hey you know I've I i, I let us you know I, it's it's not a it's not feel good it's, and it's not supposed to be and that and that's okay. <clears throat> uh one other thing we, we can't bring into this is a preconstructed constructed uh, Eurocentric uh, view of who Jesus was. Jew- Jesus was born in the, in the Middle East. Uh, he lived in a Middle Eastern culture. He lived in a Middle Eastern Jewish culture that was oppressed by a Roman regime. Uh, you could look at them as they were a colonized uh, people uh, that, that in which Jesus existed. And so you have to think about most of us. Who have ever, who have listened to this, or are in the class that I'm doing this live with, have never been colonized. Uh, we have typically been the majority for most of us who have who have watched this. I know some of you are not, but have have not been. But that's kind of the the uh, that's kind of the audience that we've been working with lately. People who have not ever been colonized or have dealt with uh, an oppressive regime coming over them and uh, telling them, you know, how to live and killing you if you step out of line. Um, <coughs> So you had that. Uh, You also, during that time, you had the the Jewish leaders who were in kind of the back pocket of the Romans. And as long as the the Jewish leaders kept uh, the Jewish people uh, under control, the Romans would, for the most part, uh, leave them alone and let them do their own thing. And that was, uh, again, fortunately, that I'm aware of none of us uh, live within a regime that is like that uh, right now. Uh, So just, of course, uh, keep that in mind as well. Uh, also, one other thing before we go on is that Jesus did things that we would, even those of us today, even the, those of us who are the most self-righteous of us, uh, would would say, uh, he, he, he did things that we would not do. We, we would not uh, typically, uh, now maybe you do, and good for you if you do, but... Uh, Jesus would sit with tax collectors, what they refer to as as sinners. He would would sit and eat with prostitutes, uh, adulterers, adulteresses, uh, because he knew, as he would say, it is the sick who need healing, not those who are well. And uh, he would go to those who who needed the help the most. And, of course, I think today it would be difficult for us to, say, go to whatever major city you're in, say, here, for go down to downtown Houston and come across... uh, uh, someone who is a prostitute, uh, male or female, and and invite them to to come and eat with us. I think that'd be very uncomfortable for for most most people today, but Jesus would would do that. <coughs> Uh, let's let's move on from there. So that's just kind of the brief introduction of why we're doing the difficult sayings of Jesus. Now, uh, what we'll be doing is over the next couple of weeks, we'll be focused in the the Gospel of Matthew. There is going to be some overlap in the parables because they'll be mainly parables we'll be looking at. Uh, there'll be some overlap with that over the next couple of weeks uh, with Luke and Mark. But what the next focus will be over the next three to four weeks, part two to three weeks. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. Depends how many parables we get to every week. Uh, we'll focus on Matthew. And then once we start focusing on Luke and Mark, we'll, we'll do an intro to those, both those books as well. So starting out with Matthew, uh, Matthew was most likely, uh, it, it, during that time period or after it was written and, and, and compiled and fully put together, probably one of the more popular or most read of, of those three syn- synoptic gospels of Mark and Luke. Uh, <coughs> people seem to like it because it had the lineage of Jesus uh, up there in chapter 1 which was very, something that, during that time period, uh, lineages were very important for people to to want to read. It also gave authenticity uh, to a writing, whenever you would see a lineage. Also, another piece of it is that Peter plays a large role in, in Matthew, unlike in some of the other Gospels where he does not. And Peter was very much a, a, a hero of the Jewish people, especially the Christian Jews, and so they'd very much be able to uh, resonate with him. Um, <clears throat> In Mark, you get part of the Easter story. While in Matthew, you get the full Easter story, or a more full version of the Easter story. I'm not sure. We probably don't have the whole Easter story because we don't know what happened minute by minute by minute by minute. We have a much larger view uh, within the book of, of Matthew. Uh, Clement wrote a, a multiple books, but one of his books called Second Clement, chapter two four, uh, which is in uh, what we refer to now as the Apocrypha, uh, referred to actually the the scripture of of Matthew and revered it as scripture, which also kind of set it up as uh, something that would be uh, looked at as authority. Even to today, the book of Matthew is probably the most prayed, quoted, pronounced uh, uh, book of, of the Synoptics. Uh, if you've heard of these phrases such as, uh, burning the midnight oil, saw the earth, blind leading the blind, casting pearls before swine, those all come from the, the book of Matthew. It was also the most Jewish of the four Gospels, uh, almost to the point of being filled uh, with so much Jewish uh, thought and wisdom and, and parts and pieces that uh, the theologian A.J. Levine uh, wonders if the 5,000 were fed, were probably fed uh, pickled herring and uh, a piece of challah. In my class last night, I got no laughs. i probably not in this situation either, but I thought what A.J. said was quite funny. <coughs> uh, Matthew, the author of Matthew, uses much more Uh, Jewish terminology than the other Gospel writers. Uh, He tells the story of Jesus with a Jewish lens using Jewish spiritual wisdom and how to live a spiritual life, much like the Jewish wisdom literature of the Hebrew Bible, such as uh, Proverbs, Job, Ecclesiastes, those are all considered Old Testament or Hebrew uh, wisdom literature, and so it's very much uh, a piece of wisdom literature. Some people believe that also with the book of Matthew was used uh, in schools early on uh, to help teach uh, Jewish Christian teachers, We're also used by Jewish Christian teachers to teach, so use probably both ways. Uh, Matthew pulls a lot of its uh, content, I think it's 90% of its content from the uh, the Gospel of Mark, uh, even though Matthew is significantly longer, I believe it's 18,000 words to Mark's 11,000 words, uh, Matthew does use Mark. He also uses a source called Q and a source called M. Uh, Q most likely is where we get the Lord's Prayer from. Uh, M is most likely coming from the person uh, we know as Levi or Matthew, which we believe probably wrote the first two chapters of the book of Matthew, though he did not write the entire thing based on what we know at this point. Uh, we believe that uh, Mark was written before Matthew. Of course, so Matthew had to borrow Mark uh, to use Mark's stuff. Uh, part of it is that Mark was a... Um, One of the reasons that they see that is that Mark's language, his grammar, his descriptions were more primitive and less descriptive than Matthew's. And so it's almost like Matthew grabbed Mark's stuff and then made it more uh, informative. So Mark being John Mark, the one we know from the book of Acts, uh, he, um, of course, traveled with Paul and Barnabas and eventually just with Barnabas. Most likely uh, did not actually witness Jesus here on earth the way that... uh, Matthew did Uh, so Matthew was able to probably add some of his own insights and viewpoints from that (coughs) Uh, let's see here as we continue on Um, so some of the questions would be uh, if Matthew didn't write the whole thing why would they name it Matthew part of it is that he probably uh, attributed a lot or yeah gave a lot of uh, information to the whoever was scribing the book and so they they would name it matthew uh, which would typically be, which was typical at that time to be able to name a <clears throat> a book after someone who's contributed a significant amount to that uh, the other side of it is that a lot of times they would find people who were who well known and they would just grab those people's names and use them to give the the, uh, the books some authority and there's probably a lot of authority with with the, the guy named matthew all right, uh, like I said, uh, that's enough about... And we could go on and on and on about the authorship of this and a few other things. But uh, the next thing we'll, we'll look at is uh, the audience. Most likely they were, like I said, I well, not really said yet, uh, a double minority. Uh, so they were uh, not only Jews, but they were also Jewish Christians living in a very Roman world. Um, so it seems that maybe the author of this or the intention of this book... Uh, was to help Christian Jews justify their own existence of still being Jews. Because you have to remember, just because they started following uh, Jesus as the Messiah and as the Christ and believed everything that Jesus had taught, uh, did not remove them from being cultural Jews. And so they had to, they, they, they didn't have to, but they continued to live as Jewish people. They, even for a time, would continue to go to, the, to synagogues and you know, have some of the festivals and uh, to live lives, eat, eat as, as Jewish people would eat. And uh, this book was kind of helping them transition out of that way of living. Most likely, the main audience was in Damascus, modern day kind of Syria, in Galilee, uh, which still had a pretty large uh, Jewish population uh, during that time. <clears throat> it is believed as written at that time, well, I haven't given you the time yet, but in that region because Gentiles. Uh, wouldn't have really cared a lot about the Jewish traditions and the Jewish laws. It, it wouldn't be that they didn't care. It just wouldn't be as relevant to them as those who are Jewish. And so the other two, Mark and, and Luke, are less Jewish in nature. And so Gentiles probably would uh, hold on closely more closely to those than they would to, to, to Matthew. Or at least better understand that since it's not focused on uh, the Jewish faith. Uh, the book is a biography, of course, of, of Jesus. It doesn't have a lot of the early days of Jesus, and that was typical back then. Uh, the biographers, or people who wrote biographies, didn't really put a whole lot of importance on... Um, <clears throat> actually, zero importance. Not zero importance. Uh, they, they just didn't put a lot of importance on the early life of people because they didn't think it really mattered. And so what they would do is they would then uh, put the emphasis later on, early adulthood further on, and uh, be able to identify the virtues and the characteristics and the vices and everything related to that person from then forward. So most a lot of book biographies during that time period didn't really focus on the early life, which and unfortunately uh, that doesn't give us a lot of information about Jesus. <coughs> uh, the the one thing that Matthew also focuses on is less about who Christ is, but more about how those who follow Christ should behave. Not on a workspace, but how we should live our, our day-to-day lives, which is a lot of what we see when we're going to be looking through these parables over the next couple of weeks. Uh, most likely this written between 60, A.D. 65 to 80 70. Uh, right in the middle of that time period would have been 70 A.D., for those of you who are doing math, and that would have been the time when the synagogue was destroyed uh, there in, in Jerusalem. Uh, by, by the Romans, most specifically by, by Nero. Uh, John would, I mean, Mark, of course, would have been written a bit a little bit earlier uh, in order for Matthew to be able to, to use the, that text to be able to write uh, what we know here. So some have said it's between 65 and 75. I've looked at it between 68 and 70. Uh, some people have taken it as far out as 80s. Uh, it, it just, it, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. But what does matter is that uh, the, the the population that this was written to uh, would have still been a very Jewish population, even though a lot had left or been killed by this time. Uh, the Christian Jews, uh, and so they would they'd be able to resonate with this work and be able to to use it as a way to hold tightly uh, of the the teachings of Jesus than the way Jesus was. So, <clears throat> few other things. Two other things. Is that. Yeah, let's do two other things, uh, is the language in which the book was written. I should have done this a little bit earlier on, but I didn't. Uh, most likely, so, so Matthew, if this was truly Matthew, the, the tax collector, he was Jewish, but he worked for Rome as a tax collector, so he would have to have known Greek. Uh, and so most likely, he wrote the book in, in Greek. Now, if he was translating Mark, Mark was mainly written in a Semitic language, most likely Aramaic. Jesus spoke in Aramaic. And so Matthew would have to interpret Mark from Aramaic into Greek and Jesus saying from Aramaic into Greek, which adds a lot of flavor to this because these are translations of translations of uh, interpretations of of, of languages to to another language. And we know how hard it is to interpret languages from, say, ancient Greek, uh, ancient Hebrew to modern day English. Uh, So there's always that translation factor that you have to put in here as well. All right. That was a very, very, very fast overview of the book of Matthew. We could go on for days, literally days, uh, on talking about the book of Matthew. But I just wanted to give you a little bit of oversight. So keep in mind, a Jewish writer writing to Christian Jews uh, around 65 to 75 A.D., uh, about the time of the destruction of the synagogue, being oppressed by a Roman regime, Uh, also being oppressed by uh, As you can see here because you have to think uh, What what is written here is in the the parables are are words that Jesus said, but there's also the always the slight coloring of the author and the author's techniques related to what happened here because all authors biographers uh, Historians theologians always add their own color because it's always through their own lens when it's written It doesn't take away the inspiration doesn't take away the authority, but you have to keep in mind people are people and people are writing this, especially in a time like this. So think about uh, Revelation. I don't want to go too far off this, but Revelation written by John, John Patmos, who with John with that, that's beyond the scope of this conversation right now. He wrote in a world uh, that was very much oppressed, probably during the time of Domitian, so end of the uh, first century. uh, uh Roman oppression was at a a pretty good size high. I'm not talking about just spiritual oppression. I'm talking about physical, mental, loss of jobs, uh, loss of livelihoods, loss of families, friends, all that sort of thing. John colored Romans, colored Revelation in in a way that the people who are listening, who felt that oppression in which they lived, uh, as to, to be colored in a way to be able to see the hope of God and the hope that only can come from God, for those people at that time, in a time that it seemed like there was, there's no hope. Other authors did that as well, including the ones who wrote the Synoptic Gospels. I've had such a hard time saying that word lately. Okay, anyways, so, wow, here we are. Uh, So we're going to just do, we're actually just doing one parable today, and the reason that is, is because we've just spent the first 20-something minutes talking about why we're doing this class in the first place and a little bit about the the book of uh, Matthew itself. And so, I'm not sure why this is here. So we'll continue on here, chapter 18, verse 21 through 35. One thing you'll notice as we look at this is uh, this is the fourth discourse of the book of Matthew here. And what you notice, if you go all the way back to the first uh, part of chapter 18, what I've noticed is a common thread all the way through this chapter and going into chapter 19 of relationships and healthy relationships and healthy relationships equal healthy communities and healthy communities uh, are are what we want is good healthy God fearing communities of people who love and respect and take care of each other is what we see here so Uh, We'll be in, like I said, we're not going to read all the way back to chapter 18, verse 1. We'll start at uh, chapter 20, sorry, verse 21 and go from there. I'm just trying to determine which Bible I'm going to read out of. I think I'll read out of the net. All right. (laughs) Here we go. Uh, Then Peter came to him and said, Alas, Lord, how many times must I forgive my brother who sins against me? you have to also think brothers brother and sister fellow believer uh at at this point but jesus kind of turns that right whenever he talks about this because we're supposed to believe we're supposed to forgive everyone anyways i'll hold the commentary for later uh who sins against me as many as seven times oh look how look how nice peter is jesus said to him not seven times i tell you but 77 times For this reason, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his slaves. As he began settling his accounts, a man who owed 10,000 talents was brought to him. Because he was not able to repay it, the Lord ordered him to be sold, along with his wife, children, and whatever he possessed, in repayment to be made. Then the slave threw himself to the ground before him, saying, Be patient with me, and I will repay you everything. The Lord had compassion on the slave and released him and forgave him of the debt. After he went out, the same slave found one of his fellow slaves, who owed him 100 silver coins, so grabbed him by the one the throat and started to choke him, saying, Pay back what you owe me. Then his fellow slave threw himself down and begged him, Be patient with me, and I will repay you. But he refused. Instead he went out and threw him in prison until he repaid the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were very upset and and went and told their lord everything that had taken place. Then his lord called the first slave and said to him, Evil slave, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not have shown mercy to your fellow slave just as I showed it to you? And in anger, his lord turned him over to the prison guards to torture him until he repaid all he owed. So also my heavenly father will do to you if you each of you does not forgive your brother from your heart. Holy moly. Holy moly. What Jesus says there at the end. Uh, has caused a lot of um, concern <clears throat> over the days, especially if you really take this uh, relatively seriously. So as we start here in verse, verse 21, uh, the, the question from Peter uh, led to telling, of course, of this, this parable. And um, what, what we're starting to see here from the very beginning is that Jesus is upending, uh, and probably actually better said, he's making right. Uh, the the laws of the time. The laws, there were so many laws. So during this time period, and this is why I said Peter seemed like he was being very generous, is that the Jewish tradition during that time was, if you uh, it was best, a good Jew would forgive somebody three times. Well, Peter's like, well, I'll double that. No more than double it, I'll double it plus one, and I'll say seven times, right? Well, that's also, for Jewish people, the number seven is the number of complete or perfection, Uh, just like the number six is incomplete or imperfection. But anyways, here or there, so Jesus tosses that one down and says, no, 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 Peter. He says, what does he say? No, no, not seven times, I tell you, but 77 times. And that, depending on who you ask, that could be seven, seven literally 77 times. Some have looked at that as seven times 70, which is 490 times. Doesn't matter. The point of what Jesus is trying to make is that more than you had ever possibly could think would be needed to forgive somebody, uh, as in, full forgiveness all the way there's there's not a number it's infinite forgiveness uh, just like god has forgiven us from the very from the very beginning for all of our sins It's forgiven as we go through all this uh, there's a parallel uh, in luke 17 um, 4 that talks about how someone uh, comes and sins seven times and asks for forgiveness seven times neat little parallel that you can see there if you want to go reference that and that's, again, according to Jesus. So they've sinned against you seven times, and asked for forgiveness for seven times. Okay. Uh, and it seems like that's, that's all right. We're not going to get into that one today, but that's another kind of parallel to this. <clears throat> the whole idea of this is that those who are following Jesus are so not only just the twelve disciples, but... The 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 all the other people who were following. Him. We know there's a, a large group of women that followed him. There are probably other people from the community that would jump in and out of the group depending on uh, what was going on. We know at some point there were hundreds of people following him uh, as as disciples. They weren't the the twelve what we refer to now as the apostles, but they were. There are many. It was so it, there were times where it was just Jesus and the group. There were sometimes there's Jesus and maybe three or four other, other of the the main uh, disciples, but there are also times where Jesus also always had a large gathering and what he wanted them to do is uh, to learn how to forgive people, to fully forgive people. And the reason that Jesus said that, it, wow, that's, that's a powerful way to say it. Uh, the reason that we believe this to be true is that uh, forgiveness, if you we were able to forgive, uh, the community can remain healthy. Uh, not only the church community, not only their little group of 12, but the, the, the community in which they all exist within. And so it's, it's, a, it's a forgiveness in an incomprehensible way uh, that would make most of us not ever be able to fully comprehend it because it's at a level that really is, is is divine level of forgiveness. And it's that level of forgiveness that only God can do. Now, we can't give up and say, well, I'll never be God. Well, that's true. None of us ever will be. And, but the thing is, is our, our lives should be of the same mindset of Christ to live as people as of forgiveness. <clears throat> In verse 23, as we continue on here, the kingdom, he refers to the kingdom of heaven, which also gives us very much a, a, a Jewish flavor because uh, typically in the New Testament, in less Jewish texts, you see kingdom of God. Jews would more of likely say kingdom of heaven. Uh, so what we see that here, uh, Jesus is wanting to show them, this is how things work in heaven. Uh, when things work in heaven, things are forgiven in heaven. Uh should also work the same way here on earth. So let's go all the way back to Genesis 1 and 2. Before the fall in Genesis 3, what was happening there was that God was creating the world as he intended it to be. And we messed up in 3, in chapter 3 of Genesis. What we as believers now, uh, with Christ here on earth and now since then, is to bring heaven to earth. Heaven and earth, the, the coming of heaven and earth, which is what's going to happen at the first at the at the end anyways. Is that heaven, earth doesn't go away. We don't all just disappear into heaven. It's, it's, there's a coming of the heaven, a renewing of the heaven and earth. You can go back and look in Revelation as one good example of that. I believe it's Revelation 22. Oh. Yeah. Um, anyways, <clears throat> let's continue on. Uh, through this. Uh, slaves here, uh, don't think of this as uh, chattel slavery or chattel slavery. Uh, think of it more of as uh, servants, and this guy's probably a, well, they were all paid, well, not all of them, but this guy was most likely paid very well, and uh, he also had servants himself, so he was probably wel- relatively high up in uh, the kingdom's, uh, the king's uh, group of leaders, and so that was, you know, just keep, keep that in mind. Uh, as we look into this uh, he's selling accounts with his servants, and it probably is very likely that uh, he gave servants money uh, as loans, and they were to repay him back, and just like that happens uh, today, especially if you're in, in the mob. And so anyways, we go into verse 24. Uh, he is selling these accounts. There's a man who had 10,000 talents, which if you think about today is probably, uh, one person last night said it's probably like $6 billion. So some others looked at it it's probably 30 to to $100 million days of labor so again the extreme is showing us that it can never be possibly uh, paid back as we look at so the ten thousand talents would never be able to uh, get get paid back so the point of course being beyond anything we could ever possibly comprehend uh, again that's the divine forgiveness that we're trying to, to to strive for uh, the servant here in verses 26 and 27 asks for forgiveness, or better said, pleads. And the king has compassion and pity on the person, uh, so of course removes the debt. Uh, why they don't say why he is compassionate, um, the, the king didn't have to be compassionate. But the example is that, that sorry, he was. Uh, and maybe because God does not have to explain his motivation. God doesn't have to give a reason why he's going to be compassionate And forgives us of our sins and our trespasses, our debts, all usually from the same word in Greek. Uh, As we continue on into verse 26, there's the. Oh, let me actually take it back to 25. Uh, When you look at wife, children, uh, and whatever he possessed, I mean, that is, that's like, that's more than just the nuclear family. That is everything everything possible so it's all the family members it could have been aunts nieces nephews cousins uncles grandparents uh their other servants that they had everything else he possessed to be able to make that that payment so just wanted to bring that point that detail back (coughs) going into verse 28 what we see here is this wicked servant well he's not been called yet wicked but the servant who had just been forgiven all this extreme amount of debt Goes out and finds another servant, a lesser servant, who owed him money and is only about at the same, about six thousand. Oh, so no wait, it was a hundred denarii. Is that right? So it's and so just kind of give perspective: six thousand denarii equals one talent. So it's it's like pennies on a dollar compared to what, not even pennies, but pennies. We'll just say that pennies on a dollar to what the other servant compared. But he does not allow that servant, even though he begs in the exact same way. Uh, And instead he gets thrown into debtor's prison, uh, which is uh, something that's, uh, you know, happened uh, up until just within the last couple centuries where you get thrown into debtor's prison until your family is able to pay off the debt. And so he wants to do that. The other servants uh, find out about that uh, there, as you as you can see through this uh, there in verse 31, his fellow slaves saw what had happened or the fellow servants. Very upset went to the went to the king and the king calls the guy back the the, the original server back refers to him as either wicked or evil slave <clears throat> and um is uh, there's no more compassion uh, a lot of passion but no compassion uh <clears throat> and ask about of course should you have not shown the same sort of mercy that i've shown you because again, that's God asking us: Why do we not show the same mercy that He shows us? He shows us so much mercy, so much grace, so much forgiveness. Uh, why did He not do that? And the 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 Lord, who is slow to anger, as we know, so reference to that. So He could have thrown this guy into the, with the in with the jailers and the torturers earlier on, but He didn't. He was slow to anger and He was forgiving. Uh, but at the same time, what we're seeing is there's a point where if you're not willing to Forgive, as you know from the Lord's Prayer, um, God can't forgive us. And that's where it's going to get really difficult here in a moment. And so in verse 34, uh, the king throws the the prisoner, or I'm sorry, the slave, the servant, in with the prison guards who are professional torturers. And actually their job was to torture people until they could pay back the debt. He could, of course, never pay back the debt, and so with that, uh, he would be tortured for the age, for the most part, until he, he died, uh, based on what we see here. <clears throat> Some people look at this as we go into verse 35. Um, this this torture until he repaid all he owed. Some of the words that are being used here, of course, is like I said, is is... Uh, it's, it's almost like Matthew's using what we refer to as a, an annihilationist strategy uh, when it comes to eternal punishment. And I, I, and I can go along with this because I don't think that uh, people who end up going to what we refer to as hell uh, are, are in there for eternity. I, I think it's of an age based on the word that's typically used for that, which is anios, a-i-o-n-i-s uh, a, in, in the Greek, which means of an age. It doesn't mean as an eternal, eternity. Uh, as in what we think of as eternity so uh, I'd like to look at this as more of an annihilationist uh, type of viewpoint uh, but what it is so what's eternal are the consequences so though this uh, person individual has uh, is now been obliterated or killed uh, or it, it, as they've been tossed into the, the fiery furnace or however you want to refer to it um, the eternal consequences is that is that they're separated from God they're, they no longer exist as a soul or as anything. But the, the issue is they, they are no longer with God. So that's the eternal consequence of that. Uh, before we go into, as no, as we go into 35, uh, we get a final warning related uh, to this from Jesus that the payment due will be extracted if one is not willing to forgive. Uh, this is beyond a grudging forgiveness. Uh, we can all grudgingly forgive somebody, uh, but one that comes actually from, <coughs> that actually comes from the heart in a way that sets us free kind of like what we see in Romans 16 or not Romans 16 but Romans 6 uh, 17 <clears throat> with forgiveness and what Jesus is trying to say here and what he says in some of these other parables and what I'm trying to say is the fourth discord kind of this common thread is uh, when we f- disobey uh, when we are not willing to forgive our relationship, our relationship with God is, is broken and so without forgiveness we're separated from God so think of it as a uh, uh, not being able to forgive is not being able to forgive of not only just debts, uh, but also of sin, trespasses. That word, like I said, is used, uh, is, is the same word, but has those three different uses throughout that. Uh, Jesus is not looking for a, a one-time forgiveness or any sort of shallow, surface-level uh, forgiveness, uh, but continual and ongoing, as in it's, it's your lifestyle, it's the way in which you live, it's the fruits in which you produce uh, that it become second neighbor, nature to live a life of forgiveness. Uh, to take this further, the Gospels have, uh, for the most part, a, a common theme of forgiveness. Uh, the Gospels were ordained, and we believe inspired by God, uh, who forgives and forgives those who have faith. Based on that, uh, those of us who have faith, uh, it should be within our nature to to forgive, to forgive one another because God cannot forgive us if we do not. And we'll talk a little bit about how that says that in the Lord's Prayer here in a second. Uh, Jesus shows us in verse 35 uh, what the expected outcome will be for someone who does not forgive. Uh, what does he mean to, does, does he mean to, I guess the question to ask is to revoke our salvation. If God is a God who forgives, is it possible for him not to forgive? So is it not within his nature uh, to not be able to, to forgive? Uh, I, I can see this God not having the ability to forgive as if we have put up some sort of impediment to God. To forgive us if we do not forgive others, so it is us putting up the the, the block. It is us putting up the uh, the the wall between us and God. It's not God putting up a wall between us and Him. It's us doing it because we're not willing to forgive uh, somebody else. Uh, we can get some additional insight about the importance of forgiveness to to God. Like I said, from the Lord's Prayer. So if you looked at Luke 11, uh, where we ask forgiveness from God only, only. You have to go back and look at it, Luke 11. Only after we have already forgiven those who have harmed us, trespassed against us, owed us, indebted to us, uh, take this a step further in Aramaic. The word, like I said, for sin and debt is the same. So, if someone is indebted to us, they have sinned against us. So, we are to forgive the sins of others against us before we are just ask God to forgive us of our sins. You go to Matthew 6:14 through 15 to see that, where it says, "For if you give, for if you forgive others their trespasses." Your heavenly Father will forgive you, but if you not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So, what is Jesus trying to do here? I think what he's trying to do is help us become people of grace and mercy. Uh, though the words such as dead are legal in nature, uh, it does not have to be a a law or legalese without without grace. Uh, so, as we go through this and reflect on forgiveness, if we are not willing to forgive people who have harmed us, We cannot enjoy the assurance that God will forgive us. Uh, One thing to consider is that God's grace and forgiveness goes before ours, which enables us to be forgiving people. With the coming of the Holy Spirit within us, uh, within who God made us to be as as humans, within the image of God, we have the ability to be people of grace and forgiveness. As we continue on here, our, our behavior as followers of Christ affects our relationship with them. Uh, remember, it is a relationship with a, with another being. It's Sometimes I think we forget that it's all about relationships—not only just with God, but with the relationship with each other, relationship with people within our community that we agree with or disagree with, people outside of our community that we agree or disagree with. Uh, This—the idea of forgiveness in relationships—is not about if I forgive, I've checked off a box and I'm going to make my way into heaven. That's—that is not at all what he talked about, or it's not even what they thought about. The, the the Jewish people did not think in the same way we do about getting our our our, uh, ticket stamps so we can make it into heaven that was not their motivation uh, in which they lived again uh, the forgiveness that Jesus is referring to here is to be genuine Uh, it's not a verbal concession with uh, which again it would just leave the issue unresolved because if it's just a verbal concession you haven't really helped anyone you haven't really done anything uh, at that point it, it has to be from the heart, which is what was considered to be the place where human nature was derived. Their science back then uh, truly believed related to the, the, the anatomy of science that they worked with, and I use the word science loosely, is that the heart was the place where character came from. It was where the nature of the person came from, derived from the heart. The brain, of course, was used too. They, they, they knew of the brain, but they believed the, the heart had a part of that as well. We, we today know that's not scientifically true, though we still reference the heart. In many similar ways, uh, but the, the they really did did believe it in that way. <clears throat> so it, it seems like this is an absolute uh, and unqualified based on the parable parable above related to to forgiveness. As it so as it is, is it the same as the unforgivable sin of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, as we see from Matthew twelve thirty one through thirty two. If, if, if to speak against the, the Holy Spirit is the only unforgivable sin, there must be some qualification. So those who are not ones who fully forgive may find some redemption. That could be a hope that we have, that God being a generous God would do that. But that kind of counters what you know from we read in the, the Lord's Prayer. So it's hard to really kind of just decipher the two. And we can uh, look at that. And then we'll probably even have to dissect what that means related to the blasphemy to the Holy Spirit, which we won't do today. Uh, this then points us to chapter 7, uh, verses 1 and 2, the, of those who do not forgive should not expect to be forgiven. Uh, the measure they give shall be, will be received fully back. Uh, <clears throat> we have to look at this. The switch in the temperature of this parable cannot be, cannot be missed. The king went from compassion to anger based on the response of the servant. God is the same way. It, it, he, will, he, he, he is a compassionate God. God is long-suffering. Uh, but there are limits. There are limits. And we know that from the Old Testament. We know that from the New Testament. that There are limits of how much God will endure. God will not, for the long term, put up with people who are ungrateful and continue to wickedness and sinning behavior. Uh, there will be accountability in the end. We will all go through some sort of judgment in the end, uh, believers and non-believers alike, people we refer to as believers and non-believers alike. <coughs> So think about this. So ultimately, what we're, Jesus is trying to do here is heal the brokenness that we have between in, in our relationship with God. Sin breaks our relationship with God. God is willing to heal the break, but we must be willing to do so also. <clears throat> All right. That's where we will end today. Uh, we will pick up next time, next week, next Thursday. Same place, same channel. And hit uh, probably three or four more parables uh, for Matthew. And uh, and, and then go from there. I hope you have a a good rest of your day. Thanks. We hope you have enjoyed the podcast. For more information about our church, visit www.woodridge.org.